This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So I have a very important question for you, Samantha. Oh, no. Yes, the most important question. Okay, here we go. Are you a shipper? Okay, so I don't... I didn't know what that was for the longest time. Uh-huh. And I took that very literally. And I was like, like ships? Like, I, I like ships. I, mm-hmm. I need a ship. I don't... I mean, do I don't, you like ships also? I mean, no, because I get very, very, like, motion sick. So the idea uh-huh. of being on a ship is terrifying to me. And just because, you know, all I think of is diseases, like cruises, cruise ships and diseases. So... And murders in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah, no. But now that I know what it actually is, which is meaning putting people together in relationship, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) See, I had to ask again because I'm like, I'm not one of those cool kids. What the hell does this mean? So, no. (laughs) Very long answer. No, because I had no idea what that was. Now, do I like couples that are Mm -hmm. given to me? Like, I know that, yes. So, and some of them don't make sense and feel forced, but, you know. Hmm. But So, are you, like, watching a show and there's two characters and you just, you want them to get together? Or do you sort of just sort of go with it? I think typically I go with it. Now, to be fair, SVU, for the longest time, I did want Olivia and Stabler. Elliot and mm. Olivia, they should have gotten together, but they really shouldn't have because you can't work like that. And they, you know... <laughs> But to me, Olivia was just so alone. And her closest connection was him. Mm -hmm. So it only made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Did you know anyone else that shared that viewpoint? Oh, so many people. So many people. Which is why, even though, you know, it is a cop show, people are still excited that Elliot Stabler is coming back. He's having a, a, he's getting his own show. Okay. And people are It's going to be like a crossover? Oh, I probably. Because it's definitely another law. You know, Law and Order has like 15 shows. And this is one more of those. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to be a crossover. And anytime they do like cross social media, people freak out. Uh I am one of those people. (laughs) It's true. One more follow-up question. Does this couple have a name? Like a ship name? See, that never happened in my generation. I don't think. Oh, really? Uh, that wasn't a thing. Who was the most famous couple that has? I don't know. I, I always think of Brangelina. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Brangelina. So that is in my time frame. But I think that was just so dumb because I also was not team Brangelina. Okay. I was what, team Brad and team? Jennifer. I was too. So but... <laughs> that, whole, like, that just has a negative connotation to me. Mm, 
Mm-hmm. So okay. obviously, since you're t- asking me these questions, yes. you, and I know this because of your fan fiction, you ship, <laughs> you ship pretty hard, don't you? I. It's so funny to me um, because, as I've said before, I am not a romantic person. Like, I don't watch rom-coms. It's not my thing. It's almost always my least favorite part of any entertainment because I'm just not into it. Um, But recently, I don't know why, (laughs) I have started shipping things. And I think I ship things that I can tell is never going to happen. I don't know, uh, because it feels almost like a safer thing or or more fun to imagine. Is it it more like a conspiracy theory type of, yeah, they're actually together, even though they're not going to say it out loud. But if you watch (laughs) their actions, they're together. That type of thing? Yes. Well, I've had an in-depth discussion recently with a lot of people about um, particularly Star Wars yeah. Mm. And surprise. Uh, well, sure. Yeah. But <laughs> Luke and, and Han, and that I've started shipping that, and I have no idea why. Um, and I, so today we're, we're talking about queer baiting. And when I think about the difference to me and what queer baiting is and isn't, because there is a huge debate over it, is intention. And I, I've, I don't feel like the writers ever meant for anybody to interpret that Han and Luke were going to be together. You know what I mean? Right. So it doesn't feel like a conspiracy so much as, but he he rushed off into the blizzard on Hoth to save him in body heat. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. We saw it. I've seen it several times now. So many times now. <laughs> yes, yes. You're the best. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we are talking about the contentious term of queer baiting, which is something that has been on my mind for a while. Um, and I have found myself falling into these relationships that get brought up in this conversation a lot. Dean and Cassiel from Supernatural, Destiel is probably the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, example given. Oh, is um, it? Oh, yes. Now, don't get me wrong. Before I even started watching it, and now I have... It's one of my regulars now in my rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, you did tell me this. You, this was the first thing you told me. And, and, and then when I was introduced to Castiel on the show, I was like, oh, there he is. And you're like, just wait. Just wait. <laughs> and then they even have an episode where they dedicate to the fact that that is a theory. Yeah, the fan fiction episode, yes, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, they're probably the biggest example. And it's one of those things where... Again, I, I'm kind of oblivious almost when it comes to romantic singles. Uh, Samantha, you know this. I just miss a lot of context a lot. Yeah. But the fact that I picked up on Destiel without the internet, I think that is that says something. I, I was like, these two characters, something's going on here. This is a little... <laughs> I can see them getting together. Dean even says he loves him. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the signs are there, Samantha. The signs are there. Apparently. Yes, yes. Um, and then I I got really caught up in Finn and Poe for a hot minute from Star Wars, which is called Storm Pilot. That's the shipping name for that. And oh. I really wanted them to end up together. Um, and I could 
go on such a deep dive, and I kind of did in our two-part fan fiction episodes on why this whole thing is, where, why are we so eager, or at least it, uh, some segment of us, <laughs> to put two male characters together. Um, I don't know if you know this, Samantha, because you're not in the fan fiction world like I am, but Slash, it just makes up a huge, huge portion of fan fiction, and it's mostly written by women, and it's two men together. What's Slash? Um, oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because okay. you you indicate with the the slash, so it would be Dean slash Castiel. Yeah. Oh, see, so yeah, that's not how I. Okay, I'm glad you told me that because I would have interpreted it as a different thing. Like they're the same oh. person, one in the same, <laughs> but not necessarily a relationship. And oh, or okay. is either or. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, I I'm happy to share my fan fiction knowledge at any point. So. <laughs> um, I actually, I feel like I could do a 10-part series on this and I want to talk about it so much. But if if I do it in a kind of a nutshell, I think one of the, the main reasons is there are more male characters. They're traditionally more well-developed. The male body is less politicized than the female body in a plethora of ways. Uh, and then the lack of platonic relationships, particularly between men and women in our media, but also men and men. Um, and so any type of closeness, I feel like we automatically interpret it as romantic because it usually is. But um, the truth remains that some companies and creators tease a queer relationship and never actually give it. And it's become a hot topic of debate. And uh, I've, I've seen it in uh, so, so many things. And, and oh, anyway, uh, another piece of this, I, I know I'm seeing things, like I said, where writers didn't intend it, like in Han and Luke is the best example, because I just feel like there's no way they thought all these women <laughs> would latch on to that. Right. Um, and I know I brought up before um, how my gay male gay friends have said that this makes them uncomfortable, that they feel like they can't have platonic relationships with a man without it being misinterpreted by somebody. And I, I would love to, to hear from gay listeners with your thoughts and experiences about this. Um, I know for me personally, when I hadn't really come out as bi, but I had been with men and women, there was sort of this assumed sluttiness that I must be attracted to everyone. Right. And... Um, it was really problematic and it made me very uncomfortable. And and I had more than one dude. He would come up to me and say, well, you kissed her, so you must be down to kiss me. What? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, please, listeners, write in your thoughts about that, your experiences with that. But okay, let's start with a definition. Essentially, queer baiting is what it sounds like. It's when creators and corporations lure LGBTQ plus audiences with the promise of a queer relationship, and then that queer relationship never happens. Queer baiting is usually between two male characters. Again, that could be because most of our developed characters are male, but not always. Queer baiting is a way for our entertainment to appeal to the masses while also safely bringing in LGBTQ plus characters. So sort of like a like kind of backhanded way of trying 
to have your cake and eat it too, to not offend anybody. Right. Um, some see queer baiting as a lack of representation leading to misinterpretation. Some see it as a calculated strategy. Like, these storylines are never going to pay off. They never intended for them to pay off. Others see it as a way for companies to use queer people as almost pawns in profitability. It's a big tease. The creators put in this subtext that is never going to amount to anything. Um, GLAAD's 2017 to 2018 report found that about 6.4% of television's main characters were LGBTQ+. So that's not that many. And just, I, I would... I would ask, take a moment to absorb how not only disappointing, but painful that is. It's toying with a community that doesn't frequently see themselves represented and then almost ridiculing people in that community for thinking that that relationship could ever have been queer, that you could ever have interpreted it that way. It's almost gaslighting. Like, mm-hmm. how, how, how did you see this, you silly fan? You're reading too much into it. Um, some of these relationships are openly made fun of by creators, and the overall message is representation of these relationships is worth less than the risk of offending any homophobic audience member. Right. And I would add that it seems like it fetishizes that in general, the LGBTQ population in general, which is harmful in every way. Let's just yeah. go ahead and put fetishizing anything is harmful, but it does do that. And that's, you're, they're using it as a way to make profit, which is gross. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. But a very brief history. In the 1990s, companies started going after what was called the pink dollar or gay patronage. Some experts argue the merit of this idea. Either way, queer baiting stemmed from the corporate desire to market to LGBTQ plus audiences while not, once again, deterring any homophobic viewers having their cake, like you said, and eating it too. So gotta have it all, want all the audience, so gotta be saying that fine line. Mm -hmm. So queer baiting has a long history, but it's In its more modern sense, it goes back to, quote, gay window advertising in the 1980s or using subtle elements to draw in the LGBTQ plus crowd. Some scholars also call this gay vague. There's also ho-yay or homoeroticism. Yay! Uh, Which was first coined in 2001, which is more closely related to queer coding or reading. More on that in a second. But in the early 1980s, it was used in the U.S. courts to describe homophobic rhetoric. Its current meaning most likely originates on Tumblr as early as the 90s. So another part of this is called situational homosexuality. Essentially, the absence of characters of one gender means that people read a certain amount of same-sex eroticism. However, many modern-day researchers think the term is archaic, that it could apply to things like prisons, a temporary state, sort of like, quote, I experimented in college. Right, as if it's only just based on the situation. It was just a stage. It was just a stage in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are a lot a lot of aspects to unpack in all of that, and we will. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. 
And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com slash momstuff80 and use code momstuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's hellofresh.com slash momstuff80 and use code momstuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit hellofresh.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new Smart Electric Toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, so you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine and the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go. Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So let's let's return again to Supernatural, which oh. I do think is probably the biggest example, modern day it. current example of this. If it. we look at it specifically, some have argued that when creators leaned into Destiel, which is again, these the two main characters, Dean and Castiel, their ratings went up. And the nature of that show and that it is very self-aware and very meta, there's like fan fiction about that it's kind of confusing to explain, but I love seeing people's faces when I try to explain this. Basically, they're they're sort of semi-famous in this world, in this fake world, and people write fan fiction about them. Right, but it's a cult, and it seems like it's mainly like young... Yes. Oh, uh, oh, Becky, who she is the like biggest fan of, of Supernatural within the world, which is like a series of books. Um, she is like the most stereotypical fan fiction girl that they could have written. They did her Um, dirty, by the way. They did. did. Um, So, because it is that way, because it is very self-aware and very meta, there's a lot of room for creators to address these things, to directly address the fan culture, the fandom around Supernatural. While at the same time, sometimes mocking and dismissing them. The actors also play with it at conventions and in bloopers, this Dean and Castiel relationship. So they know about it, and they leaned into it, but there's still kind of a mockery of it. They can make fun of themselves in general, but yeah, they definitely, and especially the earlier episodes, the kind of homophobic lines and and taglines, it's kind of sad. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I will fight anyone. I think Dean is bisexual. I don't care what the creators say, but uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> I like that you get the one that is the most like, as as he puts it in the show, because I, I just rewatched this episode where they are, where the brothers are actually confused in being in the relationship. Yes. And they're like, That's why do they think Winsest. we're gay? Dean's like, why do we? Why do they think we're gay? And uh, Sam, I can't believe I'm saying this. Sam's response is, maybe you're butch. You're overcompensating. Is that why <laughs> you think that? Oh, is that wow. the reasoning? No. It's, it's odd because if, you, if a show goes on long enough, it's just this show is like 15 years old. Right. There's going to be inconsistencies with the character because he is presented as like this alpha male Always with the ladies. Um, right. Womanizer. Womanizer, definitely. Uh, and, you know, he he like listens to hard rock and he's classic rock and he's got his oh, car. So not, and he cares it's not about hard rock. rock. It's no. classic rock. Classic rock. I don't know. I can't really put my finger on why I okay. think it. And but before I do. we get too hard into Supernatural and everybody's like, what the hell are y'all doing? This is not Sminty. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say Crowley and Dean were also a ship? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And yes, Crowley pretty much talks about being, I think he's bisexual. He kind of leans into that. Mm-hmm. But I anyway. there was a whole like triangle. Castiel, Crowley, Dean. Yes. All right. Okay. okay. We've talked about Supernatural a lot. Ooh. Here's the, probably the other biggest example right. um, is the BBC show Sherlock. I don't think you could read one article about queer baiting and not come across this. Um, and it is shipping of the two main characters, John Watson and Sherlock Holmes, which is called John Locke. Which, by the way, again, this is where I'm like, what? What's happening? What? <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. Because I love that it? show. I love that show. Okay. That was one of the ones that I was always into. And mm-hmm. like, I know the conversation came up that Sherlock may be gay or bisexual uh, because he's never been with women or been mm-hmm. with anyone, quote-unquote. Uh, it's specifically women. But I never, like, I know there's that jo- underlying joke because they're always together. So everybody assumes they're together. Which, by the way, once again, is kind of like, why can't they just be friends? Yeah. End of story. But yeah, I, I didn't, I never saw that. It's one of those things where once you look at, and and Samantha Believe me, you can find, you know, gifts, just pages of gifts, like, see the proof. Um, once you see it, it's hard to unsee. Uh, they definitely stand, re- like, way too close to each other a lot, like, face to face. And I know, I don't really remember it. It's been so long since I watched it. But I know there was, like, Moriarty is sometimes criticized as being painted as, uh, like, the evil gay trope. Right. Kind of like a disturbed individual. Um, and I know there was something along with that that people often point to. And and yeah, as you were saying, I, I do see the point that because of the, the lack of representation, um, I, don't, I mean, this is also, you could argue, very true about our, our society in the real world where, where men aren't allowed to have these emotional, deeply platonic relationships without them being read as romance. Um, same's true for female characters. Again, I think, I, I know I mentioned it in a past episode, if, if, if Luke had in fact been a woman, I'm telling you, you would have been, like, it would have been meant to be interpreted that way. Um, 
people would read their relationship between John and Sherlock as romantic if one of them was male and the other female, or at least a lot more people would. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it boils down to we don't have a lot of representation. We don't have a lot of diversity of stories being told and relationships and complex, nuanced relationships. And I think that's changing. But right now, we're, we're just so desperate for these stories. So we're finding them where we can or writing them. And I will come back the importance of fan fiction and all this in a minute. Um, and John Locke is a great example where there are all these in-show jokes that they are a couple that show acknowledging what fans want, teasing it, but then nothing happens. Um, there are even references to Sherlock Moriarty fan fiction that are derided in the show. Uh, the creator, Stephen Moffat, went out of his way to say in an interview in terms of whether or not Sherlock was asexual, is the choice of a monk, not the choice of an asexual. If he was asexual, there would be no tension in that, no fun in that. It's someone who abstains who's interesting. Um, and he gets criticized a lot in this whole, kind of his response to people wanting that. Right. Or seeing it. Because I've read interviews where he's like, well, I can't believe anyone would read it that way. And then I've read some where it's clear that he knows right. and is sort of making fun of it. Yeah. And he just yeah. doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are also other shows in entertainment that include shows like House, uh, The O.C., Merlin, Riverdale, and Rizzoli and Isles, and among so many others, uh, Solo, a Star Wars story too, by the way. Yep. Um, some classics. Yes, and I remember this because I remember it was so shocking to me in my very, very, very conservative household because I watched the show, Gabrielle and Xena from Xena, Warrior Princess. I think that mm-hmm. was the first, like, I was like, oh, What's happening? <laughs> this is not what. Um, then, of course, we have the Madonna and Britney kissing at the MTV Music Awards. I think that would be definitely one of the big queer baiting things because there was a lot of controversy of like, what is this? Why are you doing this? As well yeah. as people always forget that uh, Christina Aguilera was there too and she kissed her. I don't know if you knew that. They were both on I stage with her. Yes. Yeah. Also, Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, which also has other connotations because she had been in this very religious lifestyle before mm. she became, well, well-known, mm-hmm. which was always kind of like, huh, interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, from what I remember, which I feel like a lot of pop female singers came from that kind of genre anyway. Mm-hmm. And then Rita Ora's song, Girls, the new one, uh, because you know what? Sex sells. And there was that huge debate about why they're doing all of this, or why it's such a new fad, it seems. Um, And the capitalization of pride, companies are getting in on it. And as we've seen, when you get sponsored in a pride parade, it's really kind of weird. Essentially doing the same thing, not actually committing to representation, but wanting queer patronage. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of argument about this with like, kind of the annoyance with companies that just are like, here's a rainbow colored cupcake happy pride right um like right. it you know there's there's debate at least that that's happening and companies are appreciating the importance of it but it feels so like superficial and shallow what else are you doing right <laughs> i mean that kind of goes hand in hand with the black lives matter movement and like people do the one black tile and like wait but your yeah. company is not showing that in how right. your hiring processes and all of this yes. and it's the same way you're showing this uh pride flag do you have representation in your company? Have you had it? Do you actually acknowledge that that needs to be a part of your diversity? Hello? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess speaking of, of 
singers, Ariana Grande got accused of queer rating in her song Monopoly, which is a collaboration with Victoria Monet, um, when she sang about liking men and women. Taylor Swift's video, You Need to Calm Down, of course, caused a huge debate about where was she before this, and it's sort of... It just feels like capitalizing. And there's there's a certain degree, too, where people in entertainment, they are trying to make money, they are trying to profit, but it can feel so gross. <laughs> and like, but what else have you done? What else are you doing? Um, and some people, it's, we should say, view the very existence of queer baiting as progress, that queer baiting, the term, wouldn't exist without at least some queer acceptance and examples in our media. There's also a debate about erasure versus labeling. Like some some argue that it shouldn't be that you have to explicitly label, oh, this is a gay couple, and then it becomes, at least unfortunately right now, it becomes their defining thing. Like right. that is all about them, and they're not really complex or nuanced other than that. So that's another piece of this. Right, and I think when you see... Because Ariana Grande was uh, in two debates, the Monopoly song and another one where the video uh, where she's talking about getting together with a dude ends up in the end of the video kissing a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... I've, I've seen more criticism on that because obviously that wasn't necessarily a part of the song. Right. Um, and then you have Monopoly where she people felt like she actually came out as by or pansexual, and people celebrated that. So it was really interesting to see the two levels of like, okay, who and what dictates if this should be celebrated or if this should be condemned. Right. And I mean... Interesting conversation. It does come up in a lot of things we talk about where it's always important to remind yourself no community is a monolith and there should should be healthy debate and that's good. I I do think it's good that it's happening. But yeah, you can see it definitely in things like that with Ariana Grande. Right. Um, uh, there's also a difference between queer baiting and ship teasing. Uh, ship teasing, which I didn't know until just now, <laughs> is different <laughs> because at least one person in question is canonically queer. Also, there's a problem with only defining relationships through physical things like sex. I.e., it's queer baiting if a same sex couple doesn't have sex but are clearly together in other ways. Yeah, that's caused a lot of debate too. Of right. Well, we never saw them have sex, but there there are other ways to be in relationships. More representation, the through line through this whole episode, but right. that is problematic too when you're saying, well, you're not in a relationship because you never had sex. Right. Um, and and just to to clarify for people who aren't as big of big nerds as I am, canon is the accepted uh like not fan fiction, this is what happened. So they acknowledge, oh, this character is gay. It's canon. Instead of me being like, but Dean, and he's bisexual, and it's just me. <laughs> and a lot of other people, but not creators. <laughs> um, oh, uh, so queer coding is also a different thing. And this I didn't know about until we did this episode. Mary-Kate McAlpine over at Medium wrote about Hot Fuzz in particular, and I got to watch it for the first time. It was some of the best research I've ever had. Um, and th- so this is the Simon Pegg. Nick Frost film, which was a 2007 action comedy that was the second in the so-called Cornetto trilogy. In the editing of the script, they got rid of 
uh, the love interest, the, the female love interest, and made the conscious decision to leave in those scenes with the overlying romantic interest between the two male characters. Um, or at least it, it can definitely be read that way. And and one of the creators, they've acknowledged it, celebrated it. Um, they, they're all for you shipping it. Uh, and they never... One thing that makes this example in particular different is they never make fun of... There's never the moment of like, are you too gay or something? Like, it's ne- It's just not mentioned. Um, so that is queer coding. This to say, queerbaiting sometimes gets leveled at fandoms where the relationships don't go the way fans want, which I feel like happens a lot, especially towards yes. the end of a series. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Um, there's some contention around whether we can assume what the creators intended and what we wanted. And... That was worsened when creators and actors played into the trope and people saw an evil plot. (laughs) I had to do it that way. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Ships can be a very risky business. The question becomes, are we queer baiting ourselves? Are we so desperate for representation or we're seeing it where it isn't? And are we dismissing canon couples because we want to ship another couple so badly and we'll see no evidence otherwise? Annie, do you? Do you? (laughs) I think I'm a very flexible, I, I could admit, I don't know, I'm not very possessive or controlling, which I, I think is the way to be of entertainment. And I'll be like, you know what? I can recognize it was never meant to go this way, but it's fun to think about. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, some call this slash goggles. Yes. So <laughs> uh, fandoms, can they can be very... Um, protective of stuff that they care about and um, there can be a level of like infighting and gatekeeping and entitlement and uh, I know for some people you're thinking what because I feel you probably won't, won't encounter this unless you do go online and look up fan fiction or forums or whatever but believe me it's there and people will like one of the most prominent examples to me is um people, at least in the fan fiction world, really don't like Jenny Weasley. And they'll think you're stupid for even thinking they should be a couple because they so badly wanted things to go a different way. And that's different from queer baiting. And and so some people believe we use queer baiting way too much for we really just wanted things to go a different way. Right. And they didn't. (laughs) I mean, Um, people had a hard time. They really wanted... uh... Harry and Hermione to be together. They did. My mom wanted that too. And that was one of the cutest things because she's also not like a super, she doesn't ship or, (laughs) I was just surprised when she said that. She's like, I thought they should have ended up together. Well, they kind of changed the relationship between Neville Longbottom and Luna Lovegood from the books to the movies. Because in the books, they don't ever get together. But in the movie, they do. Yeah, I think they, they do get together, but it's like not, yeah, it's not in the books. Like, you would have to read something else somewhere. Well, you would hope that it would be that, but they actually right. made it happen in yeah. the books. And I feel like that's definitely something that was a fan hope mm-hmm. more than it was actually written. Oh, well, and that's an interesting point, too, of, like, fan service. And, uh, I mean, Star Wars comes up in so much of this because it is this huge, as we talked about, this huge franchise. Right. And so, like, there was a 
debate around the same-sex kiss at the end of the newest one. And some people were like, well, celebrating it. Other people were like, that is so... Why, we don't even know who those characters are. <laughs> like, right. um, so there is that aspect of it, too. Ah, there's a lot to unpack here. So many. So many things. But before we can do that, we have to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Uh, and just some concluding thoughts. One, as promised, I wanted to touch on fan fiction for a second. I would talk about fan fiction. If I had another podcast, it would be just fan fiction. Yeah. Um, I have talked about how powerful it is. And most people who write fan fiction are women, are young girls, queer, um, from marginalized communities. Because they, we were seeing this space where we weren't being represented, so we went and made it. And it gets mocked and derided and ridiculed, but I think it's this beautiful creative space. And so if you're, if you're shipping someone and it's not working out for you, there's fan fiction for it, I guarantee you. And you can always write, write the fan fiction. Now, of course, this isn't the same thing as seeing representation, explicit representation in the entertainment we consume, 
um, in movies and television and books. But I just, I feel like it's really telling that we make fun of fan fiction and particularly young women writing it as if they're silly. And I mean, the the fear mongering around it, you wouldn't believe it, Samantha. Like there's like a panic around young girls writing fan fiction and what does it mean and sexuality and oh my God. And um, I think that's very telling. Well, I mean, we know Twilight began as fan fiction. Yes, it's a Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, as well as, it wasn't Fifty Shades of Grey fan fiction? Yes. The most hilarious thing about this to me is, so Twilight was a Harry Potter fan fiction. Right. And then Fifty Shades of Grey is a Twilight fan fiction. Right. And there was infighting between them, or at least I, I seem to recall where one of them was like, you can't do that. <laughs> it's like, well, that's what you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and each has its own success and yes. also some they made a lot of money and they made careers and you do you at the same time there's this whole underlying idea of <laughs> fear of sex and fear yes. of sexuality yes and it's both of those things but whatever whatnot um and you're right it kind of one upped each other <laughs> It felt like. Yeah. It's funny. I I have read so much fan fiction. There's sort of lore about certain fan fictions. Like, there's fan fiction about this fan fiction. And I knew that one that got turned into Twilight. I never read it, but I remember seeing it. Oh, really? <laughs> Everyone kind of knew about it. And then there's a whole, like, supernatural fan fiction universe where people have taken characters created in that universe and written about them. Um so well, that was whole Becky. Like she made a career, yeah, of being a fan fiction writer. Yeah, and that's actually easier to do than you might think these days. The copyright part can get interesting. But, um, and I would also say because some people have been like, "Well, write your own thing. Like, don't take someone else's idea. It's a hobby. It's not like, you know, if you like to play soccer, I'm not going to tell you, well, go professional. Then like you're wasting your time." Right. Um, it's just, it's also, a hobby. Inspiration comes from different things. And yeah. why wouldn't it come from something that you love? Yes. It's a beautiful, transformed space where fans get to kind of play in the same sandbox. And it's nice because you all start from that shared love of this thing. And you don't have to right. explain the world. It's already there. And you right. could just go on. Um, Although apparently you don't have control of your world. No, the ending is so tragic. Why? <laughs> <laughs> My fan fiction, you, you all, I've gotten to the end. Well, I haven't written it, but I know how it ends, and it is the saddest thing I've ever. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> brutal. Han and Luke will never be happy together. Never. <sighs> Um, which Who I guess is? is kind of a segue into the, my next point is I do think it's it's worth remembering that there is other love than romantic love, and I I would love for us to see that more in our media. Um, right. For me, growing up not having tons of boyfriends and relationships, I most loved and treasured all of the books and or movies that were about my friends. And of course, it's not as accepted with men unless you're being misogynistic together and mm -hmm. being dumb, it seems. Again, that's a stereotype, but that's what the big movie hits are if you look at like Hangover and all of those movies. Mm -hmm. But for me, like I related the most, I think my all-time favorite book growing up was Just As Long As We're Together. So it was a book written by Judy Bloom, which I loved because it was about three girls 
coming of age. And of course, I also loved it because it was there was an Asian adopted child into mm-hmm. this book. And, it, and I felt very, very, very represented for the first time ever. Um, and it was one of my favorite things. And I, I loved that idea of friendship. And I think that's why I loved uh, the shows like Sex and the City. I really, really clung to... Now, there's so many problematic things in that show, mm-hmm. but really clung to those friendships and just the relationships that they had with each other and knowing that they would be together. Like, that was the types of things that I loved because that's what I related with most. Yeah, and it's unfortunate to see that every time you see any relationship, it has to be romantic no matter what. That somehow is being ruined by romance. (laughs) (laughs) Romance ruins everything. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, and I... I, uh, The... We just need to see more. We need to see more platonic relationships and love. And we need to see relationships between queer people, groups of queer people, and then queer people and straight people. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of things at play here. Um, and one other thing I read in a lot of articles is it's really difficult to know what a creator intended. And so it's really hard unless the creator flat out says, Oh, I never meant for this. It can, it's hard to say what they originally meant. And there's also the aspect of that, that who gets to own, like if, if, if I want to see Destiel, like isn't that my prerogative? Right. <laughs> um, and it's not explicit uh, representation is very, very important. But that comes up a lot and whether or not queer baiting is as big a thing um, and the argument around, like, some people think it doesn't exist at all. Um, right. I think where I've landed is, it is this sort of, like, taunting of, not, I don't know if taunting is the right word, but of companies knowing what they're doing, but never intending to have that payoff. So I remember when Solo, a Star Wars story came out, in the trailer, there was this, like, some shot that made you think, oh, Lando and Han are going to get together. And then you see the movie, and you're like, no, there's nothing there, really, other than Lando right. will have sex with probably anybody. Right. Um, or anything. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. You told the me. Millennium Falcon. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of thing, right, I feel like at least somebody made a calculated right. decision to include that and sort of get points for being more progressive. Right. And then had no intention right. of ever actually doing it. Right. And it wasn't until recently that we see healthy relationships instead of the, again, the trope of a gay man obviously going after every heterosexual man right. and making this whole like predatory line. And, you know, instead of seeing actual healthy relationships once again, where, you know, you see just friendship and it's, uh, it's about time that we see that level. And yeah, coming out as, hey, yes, these two are together. Yes, these two discovered that they actually are in love, even though they didn't know it at the beginning. Why mm-hmm. can't that happen? Instead of it being all hidden and cloak and dagger type of situation. Right. And I, I think I would go, at least in my opinion, when I think of career baiting, there is a level of mocking to it too. Like, right. Oh, well, you're just reading too much into this. Right. 
And then that could go straight into you just putting a gay person in there. So he's going to be the gay sidekick. We're going right. to put a person of color in there. That's a person of color. That's just a sidekick. She's just right. a byline. Right. Um, and obviously gets the secondary. Right. Whatever. So if there's a guy, you know, I love the stories where there's two guys and the guy who's the cast off goes with a lesser friend. <laughs> Always. <Okay. laughs> I don't love it. I'm being sarcastic. But you know what I mean? That that's right. kind of that whole level. And it's kind of like, uh, that was unnecessary. And it's not. It's not necessarily what you want to see as a representation and what what's the point of this. Right. And and I know we recently released the the classic about the barrier gaze trope, and a lot of that is intertwined in this whole conversation of, well, here's a gay relationship, but it, it never ends happy, happily. One of them <laughs> dies, and it's usually not as developed at all. I know the 100, the Lexa pledge. That comes up in in that conversation all the time. So that's also related to this of, we'll give you this queer relationship, but only for a short time. It's not going to end happily. (laughs) Right. Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Be grateful. Uh, Yeah. So clearly a lot to say around this. A lot of debate happening, which I think is good. I'm glad we're having those conversations and we need to keep having them. Um. And we would love for you listeners to share your thoughts about any of this. Um, Also, I would love any... I'm somebody who, even though I don't ship things, I like to find the uh, most kind of out of... I would never have pictured this couple together. (laughs) I like like finding that kind of stuff. So if you've got any, any interesting ships you want to tell us about, please let us know. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, Pete Buttigieg here. Maybe you know me as Mayor Pete. We know that this, the first year of the 2020s, has been one of chaos and anguish. But I believe now is the beginning of America's deciding decade, a time that will present leaders and all Americans with decisions that will shape life in this country for the rest of this century. In my new podcast, I'll be talking to people from every field whose ideas and actions will shape the era that is about to begin. I look at everything through a racial lens. Is this going to perpetuate systemic racism or is it going to help dismantle it? Well, the rest of the country and elected officials have to start doing that. They have to know what systemic racism is. When people protest in a country, that means they still love it enough that they still believe change is possible. I have hope that we are actually going to figure out how to allow people to be free-hearted, free thinkers. Listen to The Deciding Decade on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Paper Ghosts is a true crime podcast that investigates the search for the person responsible for the abductions of four missing girls in neighboring New England towns. For more than 50 years, each case has remained unsolved. Every day is like being lost in limbo. I pray every day that we find Lisa so we can go on. It wasn't until this past year that things took an unexpected turn, a breakthrough. 
answers to decades-old questions and witnesses finally ready to talk. I know that that's the person that was there. I can describe what he's wearing. I can smell him a mile away. Jesus, Mary, and Josephine, I hope that's not a grave for many. Oh, you know what? I think it is. Listen to Paper Ghosts on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.